Are you ready? To, are you ready to do this? I think I'm ready to do this. I'm really interested right. to, to. Are you get your take on on this album? My hot take on, on something that I've talked to you about ad nauseum for however many years we've known each other. Great, can't wait. Can't wait to do it in the format that it's recorded. I can't wait to have because I am excited. I'm actually I'm I'm excited now to know that you are. Because at first I was like, I don't know if he's going to want to listen to me talk about this. I'm sure, I imagine I've talked about it into the ground in the past. It's I don't know I that knew. you have, actually. I mean, you've talked about the replacements, but I don't know if this album ever became the specific topic of conversation. Oh, well, you're going to know by the end of this episode. I guess I will. I guess you will. Hey everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Pop, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I am Bob Canning. <laughs> yeah, you are, and I know this, but you seemed hesitant and I'm not sure why. Because I, I don't know why, but I was expecting you to say more, even though you always say the same thing. And so I was, I was slightly caught off guard that it was my turn to talk. Was it because I introduced myself like I normally do, or it's because I introduced the show prior to introducing myself? I, I don't know. Maybe it's because we just haven't been in a rhythm. I feel like we haven't done this as regularly as, as we used to. And, well, and that, I hope that changes. I hope we get back into it. Well, I mean, I, I do too. This is <laughs> That's what the idea behind tonight's was. Right. Uh, we're kind of on a bi-weekly schedule. I know, actually, if this goes up when it's supposed, supposed to go up, uh, our previous episode uh, was an episode about bad movies. And in the show notes, <laughs> I had mentioned that the following week I was going to be doing a, a, an episode about one of those movies. It was going to be a, a commentary where I talked through the whole movie. That didn't happen. Oh, man. Um, but hopefully, at least we're still on our bi-weekly schedule. This, this should be going up two weeks after uh, the previous episode. And that's a pretty good schedule, right? People yeah, bi-weekly listen? is good. I bi-weekly like that. is pretty good for this. Yeah, it gives us time to, yeah. to edit it, maybe. All right. Well, that's good. Um, are you are you on guard? You said you were off guard. Are you back on guard? I think I'm I'm back are you on speed guard. Sticked. I'm good. Yeah. Are you sure? Are you <clears throat> secret? I, I am. I, sure I have no that. secrets, but I am sure. Uh, I am guarding my right or something. Oh, right. Yeah, that last one was pretty good. Yeah. Well, great. Then, then we have started. We have. And this is the best episode we could do this week. <laughs> um, I I uh, I don't know if it's coming across in my voice. And how we're interacting. Uh, but I'm excited for this week's episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sort you, of. You should be. Mm-hmm. This well, is... Well, uh, no, I'm sorry. Go right ahead. I know. You were, were going to say a sentence. Please. Well, I, before I, I flummoxed my, my own name, um, I earlier was Earlier in this episode. Yeah, earlier in this episode. My, I was going to ask... Uh, because we kind of mentioned it before we started the, the So show. nobody heard it. Well, that nobody heard. Um uh, about ha- uh, favorite albums, and if you had a favorite album, um, we've done some episodes in the past. I think we did like favorite albums of high school, favorite albums of the nineties. Yeah, apparently, we talk about music sometimes on we the do. show. We do. I Fre- like when we talk about music frequently. I, I do just, you? I mean, my, myself, I can never really lock down a favorite album. I like it when we talk about you know five favorites from the nineties because then I, I don't necessarily have to lock it down. Although it's even hard to get down to those five. But when somebody asks me what my favorite album is, I really can't say. I can give them maybe, again, five or seven choices that kind of You don't want to put the effort into maybe whittling it down to like, what's that favorite uh, most I've, favorite I have one? in the past, but it yeah. just seems to change, you know? 
Especially sure. like whatever you've listened to more recently. Um, oh, that's a, it's a flexible question. It's yeah. fluid. No one's really basing their life, by the way, around your choice. But what, what, right now, since we're discussing it, what would you say your favorite album of all time is? <sighs> the Man Who by Travis. I really? Think, I think so. The Travis album? Uh, yeah, Travis is my favorite band. For sure, Travis is my favorite really? band. Really? Yeah. That contradicts episode <laughs> episode from about a year ago, I, I think. Are you talking about our Oasis episode? Yes. I'm talking about our <laughs> Loggins and Messina episode? No, I'm talking about our Oasis The episode. Oasis, because Oasis was my favorite band in the 90s. But no longer. Um, no, their, their body of work diminished a bit, whereas Travis's body of work has remained strong. Reminished? Diminished. No, but the, what the Travis is, what's the opposite of demonish? Uh, There's got to be a, a opposite. Maintained. It maintained. It maintained. Oh, okay. Oh, no, that's good. I mean, it didn't I, get it again, better necessarily, but it certainly maintained. Uh-huh. Why, why, why are you bringing this up? Why, why? Well, I know why you are, but. Yeah, you know why I am, because today we're talking about uh, a replacements album. And I yes. think the replacements has been uh, your favorite band for quite some time. I don't know if they still are. They are. No, I would say they still are. Yeah. Again, I understand what you're saying about the changing. You know, going through phases as you get older, it's. it's I, I find it, it's impossible to always maintain the same interest in yeah. something. And I, th- I think we find that even in just talking about stuff on the show. Uh, but there are things that constantly come up. I, I Friends, the TV show, comes up a lot. Uh, I, I thought the band Oasis came up a lot, but I understand that they don't. And I think no, with they me, do. They do. Uh, Paul Westerberg, the, the front uh, singer, the the, the 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 lead lyricist for replacements comes up a lot, and I think more so than that, the replacements comes up a lot. So today, you're right. Today we're doing a segment uh, that we've done in the past before. Uh, it's called Compact Discussion. Uh, we're going to take an album from, in this case, at least from my youth, because I, I think I know your relationship with it, but I'm not entirely sure. And we're going to discuss an, an, an album in its entirety, track by track by track, um, that meant a lot to me, at least back in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, and well into this century. And the album we're picking, um, I'm excited to finally do an episode where we can talk a little bit about The Replacements, because like you were just saying, they are, they are my favorite band. They're a Minneapolis band that broke up in 1991, but as in various forms, has has released music off and on since then. And when today, we're going to talk about their penultimate. Is that what you call something when it's the next to last? Uh, yes, I believe that is correct. They're, they're, they're correctly called penultimate album, uh, Don't Tell a Soul, which was released um, February 1st, 1989. And this, this album, this particular album, um, was the first replacement album I ever heard. Wow. Uh, first replacements album I ever heard anything off of, first on the radio, and then two years after that. So by 1991, it was the first replacements album I ever, um, that I ever owned. Was it, in retrospect, good that you started with this album, you think? Actually, I do. I think for when I found it, I yeah. think for, because again, I was, um, when, this, when, the, when, when, when I first heard them, the first song I heard, I, I was in eighth grade. So I would have been like 12 years old. And, and, and they had a radio single. They had a radio single that we'll talk about in a little bit off of this album called uh, I'll Be You. And I, I remember taping it off the radio. I think I discussed this on another episode. But let me ask you this, I guess. What's your understanding of the replacements in the 80s and, 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 and what they are as a band, who they were, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really learn of or hear much about the replacements until college. So mid-90s for me. Um, but when I did... I, I did I saw them as like a garage rock 
band. Um, I, I don't know if I'd call them punk per se, but I'm sure there's like a little bit of punk, especially I think early on uh, in their career. And I am no replacements expert, so correct me when I'm wrong. I didn't listen to the type of radio station that I would have even had a chance to hear the the replacement. So the fact that you did, it's uh, a step better than than me in my youth. It's it's actually this album, as we're gonna find, I think, as we talk about it, is very non the replacements. Yeah, like, this is a bizarre introduction to the band. Prior to this, they had had four independent albums on a Minneapolis label called Twin Tone that are all very highly regarded and respected. Then they they, they moved to an, uh, a label called Sire Records, and they released a 1985 release called Tim, a 1987 Tim. release called Yes, How Yes, ironic. that's that, 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 Monty Python fans. I don't know, but <laughs> yes, Tim. Um, then they pleased to meet me, and both of those albums were very well received. But by the time that this album came out, Don't Tell a Soul. I think long-term fans in the 80s, people who maybe had been growing with the replacements and, and following album to album, I think a lot of them consider Don't Tell a Soul uh, the band's downfall. I think a lot of people consider it to be not really their greatest album, to be kind of an overproduced album. It's it's not one I think that is looked at fondly by people who were growing up with them when they were maybe the punk band, the loud band. Plus it's and not it, even the original lineup, right? From what I understand. Well, it's, no, I mean, so the, the original lineup consisted of Paul Westerberg, Bob Stinson on, on, on guitar, his younger brother, Tommy Stinson on bass, uh, a, a gentleman named Chris Mars on drums. And it, it, it was, it was them. What is that? Four people that do that counting, right? Yeah. It was a four, a four piece band. And they performed as such through five albums. And after the fifth album, Bob Stinson was kicked out of the band. Um, and so they were briefly a trio on, on, on Pleased to Meet Me. And then by the time Don't Tell a Soul, this album came today, they, they brought in a, 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 a considered, comparatively to the rest of them, an older gentleman to be a guitar named Slyn Dunlap. And they got a bigger producer and they got a different sound. And that's the thing. This album, I think, is kind of a byproduct of changes, kind of a byproduct of changes in the band, changes in passions of the band, changes in trends of music. This particular album we're going to talk about tonight is not, it's not a strong replacements album. It's not representative of the band. Yeah, when I was listening to it this week, um, this wasn't what I was expecting. Uh, This isn't the sound I was expecting to hear. All right. Um, I mean, this album starts off with a pretty nice, pretty quiet, pretty, pretty cute song called Talent Show. I love this song. You do? Yeah. What is this song? What, what's, what's this song sound like? What does it sound like? I mean, it starts off acoustically. Yeah, it's is a it nice acoustic, acoustic guitar. Strum- acoustic guitar. Um, it's got, and then it kind of kicks in, you know, into the, the first chorus or whatever. It picks up a little bit. Um, and it tells a great story, I think, of really just a guy in a band, people in a band, encouraging their friends and, and neighbors to come and check them out at the talent show. It's kind of like a description of a third-rate kind of underdog, battered yeah. band performing. I I love the song from the first time I heard it because, you know, to put the album in and not know what you're going to get from the rest of it, this first song plays like an opening credits sequence. I mean, this establishes the band for this album. I mean, it has a line in it. And I've, I've mentioned this line in other episodes. There's a lyric in the song, it's the biggest thing in my life, I guess, yeah. is how they describe this event, this very <laughs> small little rinky-dink talent show. And they're not even sure. And, and, and to me, I just, that was the most relatable sensation teenage me could feel. 
I mean, even the the opening line of the song with my waxed up hair and painted shoes, I fashioned myself that way. I put stuff into my hair. I, I drew on my sneakers and things like this. This was very much about kind of just stumbling forward. That was the kind of anthem I think I needed in high school. I don't know. Do you think this would have resonated for you as a kid? As oh, a I teenager? think so. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. And I mean, the thing I really, I mean, it's such a well done, like musically, it just floats along really well. It's very catchy. Um, but to be six albums in and and to be able to capture the feeling of, of starting out, I think is pretty interesting. Do you think it's sincere? I do. Because they are six albums in, yeah. like you said. Yeah, I, I do think it's sincere. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like you, you can picture it all. It's so well written, and it's those turns of phrases about, uh, you know, just being whatever about it, but still really wanting people to come and talk about it. Yeah, it's it's sincere. I love it. And just the, the too late to turn back, here we go, uh, just repeated over the end is, is just, it's it's... It, it puts me in that that place, you know. I can see, I can see the you know the thrown together stage at the at the community center. We didn't have talent shows with bands. We didn't battle the band talent shows or whatever in my school, but we did have talent shows. And so the idea is just this, you know, balloons on the background, lights, kind of barely attended event that that kicks off an album that I'm going to relate to. And again, I did relate to it at that time, but if I had been following this band, this is why I'm wondering, do you think it's manufactured? If I had been following this band for six albums, this sloppy, messy, fumbling band with their, you know, their missteps and their, their, their you know, their, their famously bad live shows to get to this album where this is a polished sounding song. This is a well-produced so you could say overly produced with, you know, it has that little part in the middle where it sounds like they're doing a sound check like this. This is sort of the uh, not so much George Martin, more Phil Spector or the replacements albums, people would say it's produced. So is that phony at this point of their career? I guess I guess maybe a longtime fan could see it that way. Um, I honestly came to the song through you and and then repeated listenings through the collection that I that I have and so I never really placed it in the timeline of the band and so for me it's always stood out as just a a great song as is it's not to me I don't see it as uh this six album old uh possibly insincere dig at at you know just trying to to write a song about something um, but I've always kind of saw it as just his kind of real true life experience. Maybe he wasn't experienced at the time he recorded it now that I know when, when they recorded it. But I'm sure he had a lot to pull from through through uh, experience. He being Paul Westerberg? So, I mean, it is kind of signaling him out from the rest of the band. This album does that. This is sort of the start of Paul Westerberg's solo career, I think, oh, yeah? this album. I think so. I mean, his voice is different, definitely different on this album. I don't know. This is like his. This is the voice that he uses in his solo per albums. It's a deeper voice than previously, I think. Yeah, there's there's more crooning on this album than I expected. There is, and I think we're gonna get to a song or two where I don't know if that holds up. But yeah. but to move on to the second track, I guess the the second song in this album is a song called "Back to Back," and again, as a teen. This seemed pretty deep to me. What, what do you think of back to back? 
Uh, Back to Back is my least favorite song on this album. Um, this song is? Yeah. for And I think because of it musically, it just didn't grab me. Um, it wasn't like this is the song because I knew Talent Show. <clears throat> so I was familiar with that song. So then when Back to Back started, it was the first time I'd heard it. It's the first time I've heard this album um, and what it's going to sound like. And to me, I was like, oh, shit, this isn't the replacement at all um, that that I know or that I thought I knew. So what um, sounds different? What sounds different from Talent Show? I, I don't know. Like, it's just it, – lyrically, for me, I didn't think it was as creative uh, as their other songs and certainly as Talent Show. Like I said, Talent do, Show lyrics. Do any lyrics remain in your head? Can you think of any? Back to back. To back. Okay, anything that's not in the title with the word a few times. Well, that's true. No, that nothing – honestly, nothing it, does really? stand out. Yeah. Huh. From the song. I mean, I've, I've always liked this song. Like, oh, yeah. You know, I, you know, I like it less now. And I have to say, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't play this normally. I don't put this song on, but I still like it. Because, again, I think it really plays on the, I don't know, it plays on the, the self-satisfied, I'm going to keep saying, self-satisfied teen. And I don't mean satisfied like they're happy or happy with their life or happy where they're at, but sort of the whole... You know, almost the I'm satisfied by my misery and, and validated by my misery, and I'm gonna, ch- you know, the the, the 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 want to change the world because of how miserable you are. That's I don't know. I feel like this song had that kind of. It's an anthem. This song has a bit of an anthem to it, has like kind of a big start. And, oh and gosh, I, I don't hear that at all, or at least no? I don't remember hearing that. Can you relate to that as a feeling as I describe it? Oh, sure, I can relate to that, especially you know if if I'm hearing it as as a teen. Um, for sure. I can, I can definitely see how, and, you know, looking ahead at the songs coming up, I can definitely see how it, it connected with you at that time. Is that a feeling you had as a teen? Sort of that isolation that wants to reach out, sort of that isolation that wants to scream and just anybody connect with this kind of feeling? Yeah, I don't think I realized it at the time. I was not as self-aware of myself um, as others might have been. Um but looking back, I can see where where that was sort of where my mindset was. Oh. Did you have certain feelings that you went to music to sort of validate or soundtrack? Like, uh, were, were there, you may have just answered this and I missed, I missed it, but were there feelings that you couldn't quite understand or sensations that were difficult to discuss that you found a connection in song for, that you were able to maybe understand or experience more through a piece of music that someone else put together. I mean, I know you're listening to what Huey Lewis at this time, you're listening to Harry Connick Jr. So maybe within them, are you finding in the music, do you think that you listen to it in your teens, your early, early teens, were you finding a way to almost speak your feelings by having the song play? Yeah, not, for not back to back. sure. For so sure. Who, who was it? Who, um, what song was it? Uh, well, I mean, Harry, when I got into Harry Connick, that's when I kind of realized um, I was lovelorn in a way because because all of his songs are so romantic and and uh, I'm gonna make your life so special, um, singing to the, the the woman in his life or whoever he was pining for, um, and I realized you know I'd been pining for for girls, I had crushes like for years and years and years and would never do anything about it. And now here, Harry Connick is, is showing me how to do it. Um, and then there was also, uh, <laughs> in his way, uh, in his and then, music. and then there was, uh, finally found a home, the, from Huey Lewis. Um, that song, I just 
that was just a, an anthem for me. Um, I don't know if folks know it, but that was a song where anytime I heard it, I was like, this is it. I just got to find my home. And, and for Huey, it was the stage. It was singing. Um, and it was like, is that going to be me? Is it going to be acting? Is it going to be something else? Um, so yeah, music would always kind of amplify what I'm already feeling. But did you think you understood it at that time? Do you think you went to that song and would turn it on and, 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 and that would it course through you? Or yeah. There, there, it would. Yeah, absolutely. Did you share it with people to express that in some way? Not at that time. No. No, in high school, I wasn't really a music sharer. Yeah, I don't think I was necessarily sharing it. I wasn't telling my parents, hey, listen to this. This is me. Right. I didn't do that with music. I did that with some movies. I made them sit through the breakfast club. It's like, this is my life. It wasn't, but I wanted them to see that. I made them sit through short circuits. So I could say, this is my life. It wasn't. <laughs> but for, for yeah, for something like this, I think it just, it, it had a feeling to it. Plus, the way the song starts, and again, you'll have to listen to it to get it, is like an echo kind of thing like that resounding like a guitar back and forth and that just and we even want to hear it now i think of it bouncing around the concrete walls of the high school i was in i think of it kind of playing all around me this album played around me a lot and i didn't have headphones back then that i wore but just i the the the, the songs i would soundtrack what i did in my head cinematically i was just talking about the breakfast club i'd want to create it and this would be one of those songs this would be one of those songs that would be playing over the shot of the corridors of the of, of the high schools everybody's going one direction and then here i come going the other one you have some stupid bullshit right dramatic image and this song would play for it so yeah this 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 lived in me these songs, a lot of these songs really lived in me and that that's one that did um a song that didn't really impact me um the third song in this album right. is a song called We'll Inherit the Earth. Yeah, this is the one I would say I find to be insincere. You, you do? Yeah. What what sounds insincere about this? Well, we'll inherit the earth is generally what, what the kids say. You know, the kids will inherit the earth. Um, and we're, you know, the, these grownups are, are ruining it and the kids will inherit it. And this is where I'm like, well, no, this is your sixth album. You're not a young guy anymore. This Maybe I could have understood this from first or second. But uh, what is he, like 62 uh, when this one came out? Uh, yes, Paul Westerberg, born in 1920. No, he's uh, he's 29 when this album is 29. released. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's still young, but yeah, it just didn't... Knowing it was their sixth album, man, it just didn't seem uh, like he meant it. Um, and, and the idea that it's already ours and it's like, well, who are you? You're, you're, you know, it just didn't, didn't sit with me. I mean, this song to me feels like a more entitled bastards of young. The replacements have a great song off of the album, Tim called bastards of young, which is sort of about the lostness of, of that particular period of, of, um, of being a teenager and early 20 something where you just didn't connect. You didn't belong. You didn't have a future kind of thing. And this one seems sort of like, it's not quite angry teen rebellion, but it's not quite bored ambivalence either. I don't know. I I feel like he's singing to an audience in this. The we in this is supposed to be inclusive of 13-year-olds. He's singing as a 13-year-old. Kind of like how Steven Tyler would sing on Pump as a 40-year-old, regardless of whatever age he was. I don't know. I, there's something, like, I definitely thought this meant something as a kid. Sure. It definitely felt like uh, this is like your ra- a rallying cry, but it's not, 
I don't know. It's it's not the replacements. Like I I do listening just it now. I'm like, who is this band? It's not the replacements that I know. Yeah. It um it's a song that's now as an adult, it's in love with its production. It's big sounding. It doesn't quite hit the right notes. But I get why it would have appealed to me at that age. Yeah, I get that too. But I mean, you're saying it's big sounding. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's as big as as a song called We'll Inherit the Earth should be. And it's not the opposite either. It's not like trying to be bigger, but it sounds softer. It's just this middle of the road kind of thing. And and, uh, I don't hear any commitment in his voice. And again, I think you're saying that's part of it. It's like, okay, we'll inherit the earth, but that's I don't want that responsibility. Um, but yeah, for me, it's just, I think because of the stage, um, in which, uh, career wise that they're, they're recording this, it just didn't, didn't resonate for me. Do you think it would have resonated with teenage you? It probably would have. And why is that? Um, On what grounds? Because it's, it's doing exactly what you said. It's, it's singing as a 13 year old. Um, and it's the kind of thing a 13 year old would think. Um, it's like. I don't want this responsibility. Um, I hear and I understand that I'm next. This my generation is next. We'll inherit it, um, but I don't want it. And you know what? Fuck you. It's already mine. I can already say it's mine because I'm here and I can do what I want. So it's it's just this arrogant kind of thirteen year old attitude going back and forth between what he wants, what he doesn't want. So yeah, I'm sure it would have resonated. It's odd because I feel like a lot of the songs already, I know we're only three songs in, they're songs that I think are meant to include the audience. I mean, Talent Show, he's singing as the band. He's singing to us that we're here. The It's Too Late to Turn Back, I don't know if it's the band or us listening that he's talking to, but I think both uh, Back to Back and Aiken, oh, I'm sorry, both Back to Back and uh, Will Inherit the Earth, Paul Westerberg in the band is singing and including us in what's being sung about. And what I think is odd about that, I guess, and again, it, it, I felt connected to it, is prior to this, I think the band always sung about themselves. You know, I think We Are the Sons of No One and Bastards of Young is just the band. You know, I think the We're Getting Nowhere, that song and some of the songs is about the band. I think I'm So Unsatisfied is, is about one individual. I don't think they're a band that ever, and I don't mean this rudely, gave much thought to the listening audience. I mean, they probably did in terms of their performance, but I just think the songs were always deeply personal about that one individual. Whereas this album, I feel like there's an effort. There's all of this lyric work and 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 just sweeping motion to almost like the arms of the band are pulling us in you know where the will inherit the earth all of us are there where the ones back to back it's 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 a narrator the the voice of this as a narrator is is singing and trying to include us in the feelings and sensation not singing them out into the ether and and letting us find them and, and that's why that's something I think makes this song. And I do, I compare it to Bastards of Young, which I think is such a prominent, powerful look at what it meant to be a certain age, a certain way in the 80s. And for me, when I heard it in the 90s. Yeah, and this song kind of, it comes up short to that. Yeah. And we're only three songs into the album. I mean, was it hard to get this far into the album for you? It's only three tracks in. But what were you thinking when this song was nearly done? Um, I was thinking again that this isn't the, the replacements I was expecting. Um, just uh, sound wise and 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 uh, uh, topic wise, which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Well, but going into the fourth track, 
Aiken to be. Like, did you know this song? You know, I thought I did. Um, I I knew the title. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, Aiken to be is is like, I I knew that as a replacement song. But then when I heard the song, I was like, shit, I actually have not heard this song that often. Oh, it's on your double disc compilation. I do know this. Um, but yeah, no, I was surprised to hear because I, I maybe I had thought Aiken to be was another song. You know what I mean? Like I, I matched the title with another, um, with another melody. Um, so when I heard it here, I was like, "This is an Aiken to be," but turns out it is. The uh, liner notes would have you believe that this used to be my second favorite song on the album. Yeah, and I do. I still love this song. This is a great song. This is. I mean, this is one of those songs I feel is very sincere about what it is to be a teenager and how no one understands you when you're a teenager. I mean, this song has great lyrics, you know, kind of like an artist never finishes what she abandons. I mean, there's all these things about kind of like this, but doesn't quite finish this. Nobody um, about people just not getting her artwork. And to me, you know, no one gets what I want to be is what this song as a teenager, seem to be about. Yeah. What's odd is that you have a narrator, in this case, Paul Westerberg, t- again, telling you this story because he's singing about someone else. He's singing about this person who's struggling to be accepted, struggling to be at the, to be understood. Well, I, t- I took a um, slightly different take on it. What do you mean? Well, you're saying that that others aren't understanding her. I took it as she's not quite sure who she's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took it that way. I took it kind of, um, I, I uh, internalized it to being like aching to be something. And she's not quite this. She's not quite that. Not, not from an outsider's point of view, but from her own point of view. No, I think that's there. I, I, I think that's, I, I think, but isn't that, I mean, that's what being a teenager oh, is. Totally. Isn't it? You, you so want to be accepted, but you also don't want to be understood. I mean, I think that's both there. The idea that I don't want to be like the adults, but I want to be understood by someone. I mean, I think this song is hitting on that. I, I, I think I'm in, actually in agreement with what you're saying. And I think maybe I've just wider, the, our perceptions are a little different. But I mean, no, I, 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 I yeah, I think the, 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 the character that's being sung about has some identity to find aching to be right. It can be what one of these things, an artist, a poet, whatever it is, what I find telling in this song. And I think it's telling for this whole album. I mean, this, this is very much a Paul Westerberg solo song. I mean, this, he performed this a lot when he went solo in the nineties and this feels like it's him singing and it's, he's singing about this person. And there's a line where they're just like me, you know, she's aching to be just like me. So, okay, we found some common ground. I mean, this, this is a song about confidently finding someone who's lost just like you are. And it's interesting at 13 for me that that person that I would have thought is lost just like me is Paul Westerberg. Because hmm. he wrote the song, he's singing this song, here's someone who gets me. And then that goes back to the question I was asking earlier, is that sincere? Because you're right. There are much older bands singing about something. Are they singing about teenage years? I mean, I think this album is geared and focused on what it means to be a teenager, unlike anything else they've ever sang. The earlier stuff, I think about it, well, I mean, there's a song called 16 Blue on Let It Be, so I guess it's about being 16 years old. But most of the songs I think about being in your 20s. That's how all the other work of theirs from all the other albums hit me. But this album, I feel like they're speaking to and singing to the 
mindset of a 13 or young teenage high school audience. Not in a creepy way, but in a way that these are the feelings you have. These are the feelings of what it's like. And I guess it begs the question, is there sincerity in that when you're writing it at age 29? Yeah. Judy Bloom can do it successfully. We look at Judy Bloom's books as being pretty accurate. I mean, what, what, what do you think? I think you've already voiced it. This doesn't seem, this album doesn't seem sincere to you. Well, uh, not entirely. And certain songs stand out as, as being less sincere. But actually, um, one thing I thought about after, I don't know, maybe my sixth listen, I've been listening to this album over the last few days. Oh, that's nice. Oh, well, you know, you give me an assignment, I try and follow up. That's what's nice. <laughs> Um, I'm almost wondering, and I, I've, I've tried to find a connection of, of a larger story being told. And you're talking about how through the course of the album, in or the through course the of the album, cause you start with talent show, you know, you're, and, and like you, you're saying they're, they're an older band, they're six albums in, but the song, the story they're telling in that song is a younger band. One would assume at a talent show starting out, um, and as you kind of go through it, and then you have Will Inherit the Earth, which is definitely from the point of view of, of a younger person. Um, and here now you have Aiken to Be. And as you go through it, and and it sort of clicked with me towards the end, uh, which we'll get to, where there's actually a rock and roll ghost, which is coming up. And that's a song about... For Halloween, looking, just in time for October. But it's a song about, I think, a musician looking back um, on on what he was or could have been. Um, and then the last song is about uh, death, I believe. And so when that kind of clicked with me, I was like, oh, shit, I should go back and listen to this again. Is it is, is it the story of, of a, one individual or a few individuals in this band uh, that we meet in song one and then we kind of go through their lives, which don't quite turn out the way they want it to? There's a lot of unknown and regret and wish, wish things could have been different, wish I could have been different. Um, and then at the end, it's like you're looking back on your life and then you're passing away. So I'm wondering if, uh, do you know of that? Is there any sort of hint that there's a, a larger story being told? Is this a co- I mean, if there is, if there isn't, I mean, I think you're getting something out of that. So that's what we discussed. I don't know of it as a concept album. To be honest, there's not, I haven't read a whole lot about the production of this album. I'm hoping with the box set that maybe there's some stuff in there. I mean, and I think when we get to a couple songs, yeah, I think there is some self-awareness to this album i don't think we're there yet in what i'm hearing um so i don't know if i look at the whole thing as this intercut concept that you're saying but i don't know does that change how you're listening to the first couple songs to think that it it did i mean i i kind of only kind of latched onto that earlier today and so and now even talking about it with you um i do see that there could have been a conscious decision to sing and write from the perspective of of a teenager uh on a few of these songs especially the early ones what about the next one they're blind yeah um that is that's where i don't find that connection this doesn't have the same kind of through line this to me just seems sort of like a um similar to aiken to be just singing about uh, another person and how i think it's a lesser version of aiken to be yeah i mean and it follows it no this i don't like this song oh no i wasn't a huge fan of it then i I would listen to it like what i consider is the first side of this album i would listen to but yeah this is um i like it musically 
Oh, it's so crafted, though. That, but that, that's what I liked about it. I, 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 I hear it as like a, almost like an Earth Angel 60s doo-wop-y kind of thing. This feels phony to me. Oh, yeah? This song doesn't feel... Yeah, I think it's too produced. Too, there's no, again, there's no subtlety to it. There's not... Aiken to be hits so many things on the head, I think. It's such a beautiful song. Why would you put the same song after it? Yeah, it definitely is the that's the same song, just a, a different telling. Um, I don't know. I I mean, I kind of like that sort of um, that the 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 musicality of it. It just I enjoyed that. I thought lyrically it was lesser than the previous song. Also, when I when I read the title, all I hear is Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, that doesn't help. No. I don't know if it hurts, but it definitely doesn't help. Um, and that's not even their song. I know, as we okay. learned. I just now I can't remember who, so I can't say, well, I hear that band. <laughs> um, what do you hear in the next track? Track six, which I don't know if this was the last song on side one or the first song on side two. I should know this, and I don't. I hear I hear the replacements on track six. What's the name of track six? Anywhere is better than here. You hear the replacements on this yeah, song? Yeah, like to me, this is... This is back to what I expected. And again, this is probably the fault of me knowing this song ahead of listening to this album. Um, so I was already familiar with this song. Uh, but it just has that rougher kind of sound to it. It opens with a guttural scream. Uh, so it's just, it just doesn't come off as having that uh, thought-out production quality to it. It probably does. Um, but it, it at least kind of reminded me of what I thought I was expecting. Really? So you really thought, knowing Talent Show, knowing LBU, this is what you thought the album would give you, this song, this screaming song? Uh, yeah, I kind of. that's kind of what I was expecting from a Replacements album. And it's jarring. It's, it's wonderfully jarring. As a kid, it definitely threw me. This is, I thought this was punk rock as a kid. I thought this was the heaviest song in my collection of timepieces by Stevie Nicks and the... Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey soundtrack. But I don't know. It's it's very different from the rest of the album. Right. Like, I don't think it fits on this album. No. It's, I guess it's a buffer. It's a pivot point. But I don't know if I like it. I think I did. I think because it felt dangerous. Sure. It was an approachable, dangerous song. And I definitely, at the time, took it to mean, you know, you got to get out of your small town. Like, I was living in a small town when I got this album, and this, meant to me, was kind of like, I don't think this is what the song is actually about. But I think at the time, I thought it meant, like, you got to get out of your dead-end town. You got to get out of here. What do you think? Anywhere that, else. What, now, now, with all these years behind you, what do you think it's about? I mean, I think it's about an abusive relationship. Mm. I think he's singing to, maybe it's the same character from Aiken to Be and They're Blind, but I mean... There, there's the lyrics in the song are, are very sexual. You press your luck up against his body, and some of the lyrics like that. Like there, there's a lot of the, this is the only that I can think of right now. Anyway, this is the only in any way physical song on this album. Yeah, and it, it doesn't paint a pretty picture. I don't think. But I mean, I haven't analyzed it enough to really know. Like, what do you think it's about? Um, honestly, I did not really connect with with it lyrically. Um, so this is the first time I'm, I'm hearing that angle on it. Um, I kind of just took it at surface level about like what you were saying, getting out of, of your situation, whatever it might be. I didn't really connect, uh, or hear 
that it was specific to an abusive relationship. I'll have to yeah, go back and listen to true. it. That's true. Um, I'm just looking up the lyrics now. It's like, you press your luck up against his body. Now you're stuck, but you like it down and dirty. I don't know. Yeah, no, no. I can see they the way it's going. They play with your head, but they never stroke your hair. I mean, there's there's scary lyrics in this song. Yeah. And I don't know if I fully got that and understood that as a kid. Yeah, I didn't get it or understand it <laughs> as, a, okay. as, an as, adult, a, as an adult uh, in this current moment. Six hours ago. <laughs> as recently as six hours ago. I do that a lot with songs, I'll be honest. What, just not, you don't get them an hour ago? No, no, I don't. I don't. Unless I've I've been with it and have heard it over and over and over again, but even songs like this that I have heard quite often, um, you have heard this song. <clears throat> oh yeah, I've heard this song quite a bit. Um, it's like the chorus will stand out, and the chorus is always more ambiguous than than what the uh, um, uh, verses might be, and so it's like I'll I'll get the general theme, and then I'll either like the music or not, and if I like the music, then like the the, the musicality of it. That's what I'll kind of go to the the rhythm, the beat, the melody, and I'll, I'll, you know, the verse lyrics are always kind of second or third on my book, and and that'll happen a lot where I will suddenly it'll dawn on me it's like oh shit I've been tapping my toes to this rape song crap. If that's what it's indeed about, I mean I, I don't know this you know, you talk about this album as a concept album I don't know if this belongs on this album from that sense. Well, I mean, if it's that sense, sure. I mean, those those things happen in anybody's life. You, it's never, you know, you, you have your relationships and some are good and some are just not good at all. But so, this this is an album where he's trying to relate to teenagers. He's trying to, re, you know, and have them relate to him. It's kind of like we're in this together. What's this song? What's this song doing? Um, I think think now that I'm hearing more of the lyrics and, and, and just that little bit you shared, um, I could see that relating to those relationships that you might have and, and you're just kind of learning, you know, what relationships are supposed to be like, you know, what love is, um, and, and you can be blinded by, by the need to be in that relationship and, you know, um, what was the line just there about uh, playing with your head but not stroking your hair? It's a, it's a mind game. I mean, kids play mind games with each other. Um, so, so that can make sense from that perspective. It doesn't necessarily have to be physically abusive, you know, but, but playing with your head, that to me, that, now that I'm hearing that lyric, that sticks out as a, as a mind game and not playing with your hair. It's like I'm, I'm going to manipulate you with this relationship I'm, I'm having with you, but I'm not necessarily going to be intimate with you. It's just a, it's a mind fuck. The pronoun that the, they choose in the song is they, they do this to you. Mm. Like this is a, an album that's constantly a group against us. They're blind. Um, no one gets the, the subject of aching to be, um, there, there, there is definitely a much larger youth against the world mentality to this album, yeah. which I, I'm sure is what I liked as a kid. But I, I don't. It's odd. It's still odd to me. It's still odd that it's there. I guess, and I don't know if it keeps up. I don't know if we have that for the rest of the album because following anywhere is better than here. I don't mean to just jump off it. And if you have more to no, say no, about no, that's it, fine. Me, Let's keep moving. The next song is a song called Asking Me Lies. 
Um, I think this started side two on the record. I'm not sure if anything anywhere is better than here did or this did. And, and what is this song? <laughs> like, this is like a snotty 90s rock song. Sure. This is like a fake Bohemia song. This is kind of a jokey. I don't mind it, but it doesn't sound like them. It doesn't sound like this album. It's got a jangle uh, to it that I wasn't yeah. expecting. Yeah, I don't know where this is from. It's got a lyric, the richer getting richer, the poorer getting drunk. Like, I don't think the song earns anything of what it's saying about it. Yeah, it but, seems like it has, a, like, a lot of wordplay in it. I mean, the whole yeah. asking me lies, telling me questions, asking me lies. Yeah, that's... Doesn't, that, I don't know what that means, but it's interesting. But that's replacement songwriting. You flip the expected words around and yeah. you get a different meaning. On the left of the dial, my favorite replacement song of all time off, off of Tim has the, the, the lyrics that I've spent hours thinking of saying to myself and, and, and trying to interpret the whole little girl keeps growing up. Um, playing makeup, wearing guitar. Playing makeup and wearing guitar. Thank you. Sometimes I say it wrong. I'm like, Oh no, that's how the sentence goes. Yeah. And it's like, he flip flopped the words. Yeah. It should be uh, playing, you know, you, should be, you play guitar, you wear makeup. And so to flip it around, it's like a poser with music yeah. or, or, or wanting to be this band with music. And, and then, you know, to, uh, then the makeup has multiple words that you can do. To, and that, that's clever. That's them. And so this song, to a degree, I guess, I don't think it sounds like them, but it's closer to them. This could be a toss-off track. Or one of the, it's a little overproduced, but I mean, this is... You know, this this isn't an awful song. Sure. It is it's very bratty. And it I don't think it connects to what preceded it. I don't think this is the teenager you know, I don't, this isn't the mentor to teens that the previous half of the album was. Right. This isn't the commiserating on being lost. So it's odd. This is I mean this album has 11 tracks. I was so used to this. That always threw me as a kid because I always thought albums have 10 tracks. And I think there are various songs you could cut. Honestly, we haven't hit the song yet that I would say cut. But, you know, this, I don't know, this isn't a bad song, but it, 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 it's, it's not forgettable. It's enjoyable, but I just, it doesn't really stick with me. Yeah, it doesn't seem to fit the theme. So, yeah, it, it stands out as a misstep compared to the, the songs before it. Or the song after it? You think uh, I'll Be You is a misstep? No, I think it's the opposite. I'm sorry, I thought that's what you were saying. It seems like a misstep versus the other song. I'll Be You, that's the song. That is the first replacement song I ever heard. I'll Be You was, was, I think, their only radio hit to ever chart during their heyday. I think since then, maybe they've gotten back on the radio. But I'll Be You was a song that came out of nowhere into my life. That's the one that came through on the radio one night. And I was so perplexed that the next night I set up with a cassette so I could tape it and catch it again, because I didn't know who sang it. I didn't know how it started. I don't know if I knew the title. I just knew the feeling of this song and to hear it from the beginning for long, for two years, all I had was a cassette recording of it that missed the beginning of it. I think it started in the, in the, in, in the middle of the first lyric, but this song this song, I'll Be You, convinced me to figure out who this band was. This song, I'll Be You, convinced me that I should get this album. This song, I'll Be You, convinced me of something in music. Something how music could impact you that hadn't happened yet. There were, you know, I was a huge Billy Joel fan. There are Billy Joel songs that touch on emotions very well. 
I was at the time an Aerosmith song fan, and there are plenty of Aerosmith songs you can jerk off to. <laughs> I was, but I mean, I was fans of other bands. Sure. I was discovering, I was discovering Lou Reed at this point. I was discovering other musicians, but I'll Be You as a song sounded so unlike anything that could possibly play in my ears. Um, it definitely played on my, certain thoughts of mine on duality and, and identity, you know, this out, you be me for a while, I'll be you. Like, again, I don't know how deep this song is. I'm not going to dissect all the lyrics. Like there, there's, you know, there, there's, they're, they're pretty light lyrics with the exception of an amazing chorus that taught me that you can interpret songs. To hear you be me for a while, I'll be you. I think as a kid, my first idea was this would be a great theme for one of those body switching movies, <laughs> vice versa, uh, like father, like son, Freaky Friday or whatever. So I probably in my head came up with a version of how, you, you know, that would be the title and here's how would you use it. But the more I heard it, I definitely got that there was something to that. Yeah. There was something about the whole uh, perceptions of each other, something about the whole places in society. Just you be me for a while, I'll be you. Put yourself in my place just for a bit. We're not going to get anything out of it. We're not going to be better people for it, but let's just flip around because we're all miserable. Yeah. And it's just for a while. You know, it's not somebody wanting to change their entire existence. It's just, you know, just for a little while. But it just sounded so dear. I mean, this, and again, this is the song I think of when I think of the replacements. I don't think they have another song that sounds like this, but I fucking love it. Yeah. And this was the song that when I finally was introduced to the replacements through you, and this one eventually came on, this was the one I had already heard. I didn't, so you had heard this. Oh, this yeah, was yeah. on the radio. Yeah, or this was the one I had already heard. I didn't know it was the replacements. Um, I didn't know how old it was. Uh, I didn't know the time it came from, um, but um, it was the one I was familiar with. Why do you find it a good song? Do you like this? Song? Oh yeah, I really you, like this yeah. song. What do you like about? Because I can't quite distance myself from it. It's got it's a little too, and I don't think I'm conveying it well, but it's a little too entwined in how I hear music. This song, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you talk about the lyrics being light. I like it when the lyrics kind of can be light and the music adds that depth to it. Like just, again, I, I always react to the music first and the melody first. And it just is a great song. It just plays really well. And then you add the idea of you be me for a while and I'll be you, uh, which you can kind of interpret lots of different ways. And it just... It's one of well, those how songs. How do you take it? How do you? What's your interpretation of that? Um, I think I just take it at that base level of I've I've sort of tried doing this long enough. Um, why don't you try it for a while? Why don't you go through my shoes um, and and I'll try what you're doing. But what's the outcome of that ultimately? Ultimately, they all, they go back to to who they were before because they were because yeah. they were only going to do it for a while, Tim. This, to me, is The Replacements. I know what I'm saying. It doesn't sound like one of the songs. This is a song that doesn't look to change the world. This is a song that kind of knows the nihilistic aspect of existence. It's just rambling on. You be me, I'll be you. They'll do that. Then we'll do something else. I mean, that, yeah. yeah. This, this, is per, the, this, this is still relevant to me. This is still the relevance of the pointlessness of individual existence. Yeah. I mean, this really is. 
And I think at 14, 13, when I heard it, I don't think I grasped it entirely, but it definitely stoked whatever in my mind would eventually send me off to read Zizek and, um, and, and, and Sartre and, and, and whose name I'm mispronouncing. I think it's Shart and, 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 um, you know, uh, the, the, the Nietzsche, you know, like this, this was my philosophical introduction. This was my people are bullshit introduction. I mean, do you have a song? that sort of unlocked what music could do for you. Like this is the song that turned that key is like, this is what music can do. Fucker. Wow. I, you can I, lose yourself in a song. Yeah. Do, I, do you, I don't think have I have some, I mean, I, I'm sure that I do, but I don't have like this flash memory of, of that. Like nothing is standing out. This one really does, and this is why I think it came at the right time. Like, I didn't know the replacements. They weren't on VH1, which is the video station I had. They weren't being played on the radio, and nobody in my school had a replacements cassette. I just didn't see them. I didn't hear them. I didn't know what they looked like. I didn't know their name for a year. And and uh, I think we've talked about this before. It's like your brother didn't know them either, right? Like, this was, was your... He wasn't listening to them. No, he may have heard the name, but it wasn't something... Yeah, yeah. this was very much something I found... That resonated with me, and I again, I wasn't sharing it with people, but it definitely was in in me and in my body and DNA as I moved around. So this this might have been the first piece of pop culture that instead of was just that I felt I don't want to say ownership over, but it just felt like it was made for. I had that thought of this was made for me. Right. That dumb thought that we all have. Yeah. Because, I mean, I grew up with Transformers and fucking love Transformers stars, and I never quite thought that was something that people pick and choose and thought, we're all into it. We all like it. How would you not? But this song, the isolation of this song, the listening to this song and knowing not everyone had heard it before and just the connection to it shifted something in me or triggered something in me or got me to a position. I mean, I think a lot of what we do on this show can be traced back to that experience with that song. Right. Because here was something that was taking on multiple levels of meaning that I was aware of. Not of what they meant, but that this was bigger. This was something bigger. You know, it wasn't just, God, I love the rhythm to this El DeBarge song, <laughs> you know, or, ah, oh, the, the, the animated month GoBots episode really just blew my mind last night because copter turned into a helicopter. I, I couldn't get, you know, it's, it wasn't just that. Right. And it wasn't just Star Wars, which had always been around. And so therefore, you know, there's all the excitement of seeing Star Wars that fills you with all these ideas, but you're too young to really, or I was too young to really dissect what that means. This was at an age where I'm like, huh, something I can't do, music, can shake me to my core. And there's a lot to be found in it. There's a lot to, there's a lot of personal meaning and connection that only I can form with art. And this is a whole song about nobody gets me isolationist, except that you've got this singer in these songs saying, just like me. So here's now is a song that I can embrace that nobody else has to get. I don't need them to get. I'm not telling my parents to listen to this. Like I said earlier, the way they had to watch Breakfast Club. This song indoctrined me into just immerse yourself into the culture because you're the only one who's going to get it this way not the only one who's going to get it but the only one who's going to get it the way you're getting it and that that's not a showy thing that's not something you need to share that's just the the the, the, the quote my nemesis that's just the way it is um is that don henley <laughs> he's your nemesis yeah uh, i think so i don't know if that is don henley 
He knows what he did and he knows what he took from me. And that pretzel <laughs> wasn't cheap, Mr. Henley. Or is it uh, Mike and the Mechanics? No, I think it's uh, that's just the way it is. Or is it the guy who sings Walking in Memphis? No. no, the guy who sings Walking in Memphis Marcone. only sings Walking in Memphis. Yes, but he sings a, a live version as well because <laughs> it's on like a single on the other side. Um, but I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I won't keep repeating myself now because I'm being vague, but I just, this song, the, the weight that this song has on me. Steve Winwood. Co- was it Steve Winwood? It might've been. He didn't have this weight on me. Steve Winwood sings Higher Love. He can sing two songs. Okay. I'll let him. He can. Yeah. I hate Steve Winwood. Oh my God. I can't stand Steve Winwood. But this song, <laughs> I'll Be You, is on that, I can't even say it's a short list. <laughs> But there are just songs that puncture a hole. Yeah. They play. And I think a lot of it is they play at the right time. If I had heard I'll Be You 10 minutes later, well, no, that's dramatic. But like if I had heard that in college, sure. I don't know if it would have struck right. me as much. If I had heard that after hear, after hearing Unsatisfied Answering Machine, these other replacement songs that are considered big classics, I also don't know if it would have hit me well. But the fact that I discovered that radio... This thing that I go to to get my music could play a song that nobody listened to. Yeah. That, you know, that created the idea of the underground for me. The artistic underground. Not the digital. What would have happened if you heard the next song first? Awful. Oh, my God. The next song. What's it called? Is it I Want? I Won't. I Won't. I wrote it down That is the worst song. That is probably, to me, the worst song in this album. That is just... That is flabbergastingly, which is not a flabbergastedly. That is just flabbergasting. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. It sounded like a B-side. Like you're talking about a toss It doesn't off. even sound like that. That's the song I think that like, you could, you can take this off your album. Yeah. Your album will be fine. It reminded me of, uh, of uh, their other uh, jungle rock had that sort of vibe to it. Oh, but that's, that's kind of trying to do like a 50s thing. It made me think of Paul Westerberg has a solo album called 14 Songs. There's a track called Silver Naked Ladies, which I can't stand, mm. which I'm like, you could just call this album 13 Songs right there. <laughs> and this is the same thing. I don't, I don't get this song. This isn't them, by the way. This, isn't, this doesn't sound like old replacements. No. It's like a honky-tonky kind of thing. Uh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe this is pointing out that this band has things I don't like about it. Because I didn't like the song as a kid. I skipped this most of the time. Well, there you go. We can skip it now. Let's do that. Because I think the track after this, Rock and Roll Ghost, you were, you were alluding to this a lot earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, because to me, and I didn't write the lyrics down, unfortunately, the ones that, that connected and, and kind of clicked with me. But to me, it, it sounded like... Um, an older person now singing and, and looking back at their, their band days, their rock and roll days. And now that all they see is this rock and roll ghost, because that's, that's behind them now. Yeah. This is an incredibly self-aware song, which I didn't get as a kid. No. What did you think of it as a kid? I don't know. I think as a kid, I probably thought this is a song that's trying, that finds its ties in like, Jimi Hendrix, mm. Janis Joplin, you know, all the people I thought were dead, great rock and roll stars. Like, I, you know, we're going to be connected to them forever, but it's not. Yeah. I think this is a song by someone who knows their band is over. Yeah. You know, to call you this album Don't Tell a Soul and to release it to, 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 to the disparate feelings, like some people liked it, some people didn't, but just to have this album that's not really a replacements album in a lot of people, people's eyes, this this is someone who knows it's up. 
who knows their time as a band is up. They just did, what, nine songs of trying to embrace youth, be youth, be teens, be relevant, tell them what to do. And it's kind of like, that's not you anymore. Right. There's something haunting now. Like, I hear this song now, and to place it on my life, yeah, I think the reason maybe Don't Tell a Soul as an album, because I loved this album as a kid, and I still like it, but it doesn't resonate the same because I'm older. This is a song aimed at and successfully, for me at least, perceived through what it meant to be a teenager. And so when I sit down and listen to some of these songs now, their wisps, their memories, their marks in the air hanging there, they're ghosts. They're rock and roll ghosts. Maybe I'm not the ghost in this scenario. Maybe it's the sensations in these songs. I mean, this the self-awareness of this is very important to me, I think. Because it's kind of reminding me, you know, if this is the album that showed me how pop culture could work, this song, which I don't give a lot of attention to, I hadn't really thought about much before listening to the album, this song is reminding me that, yeah, nothing lasts forever. You know, these are specters after a while, the, 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 the fleeting reminders of pop culture that's not going to hit you the same. You can't always relive your past. These people who hoard their childhood these people who at 50 are still head over heels, like they get Harry Potter. You don't seven-year-old learning to read or, or, right. or their X-Men were the best X-Men. I mean, I'm, I'm repeating myself from other episodes, but I think there is something to this about at some point, you and your pop culture are not relevant to the world at large. Yeah. And it may not even be relevant to you. I don't put Don't Tell a Soul. I know we got one more track to talk about, but I don't put Don't Tell a Soul in as a full album that often. This was the first time in years I've listened to their blind, anywhere is better than here, asking me a lot. I was like, I don't listen to those songs. No. But there was a time when I did. There was a time when this album was played to a religious degree by me, for me. Yeah. And when I go back to it now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wandering through it. I'm kind of looking at it there's you know i'll be you still gets me as a song talent show still gets me but the other ones they're reminders of what used to get me and get me through and it's hard it's hard to think that this is 30 years old yeah i i I am having a very hard time with that you had said something that i don't get okay the last track i do that all the time yes and it would be weird if that was the end but (laughs) The last track in this album, track 11, is a song called Darlin' One. Yeah. And you said that's about death? Uh, that's what I took from it. How so? Um, well, uh, again, I didn't write down the actual lyrics. I just wrote down what I was taking from the lyrics. Um, and what I took was, well, it's, it's over now. It's time to die, darling one. Uh, that's what I wrote down. I don't think he actually sings It's Time to Die. So um, I'm actually going to see if I can pull the lyrics up because, yeah, just lyrically, as I was listening to it, that's that's what I walked away with. Um, it, you don't have that? I don't. I am also looking up the lyrics. Boy, a prepared show would have done this already. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think I always thought this was a romantic song. Oh, yeah? I think I always, this to me, 
was because that one it feels like it the rock and roll ghost felt like an end and then this song kind of builds up this always felt like the march into something like for an album that i think was all about you know with aching to be it's like uh you know she's aching to be just like me with back to back being like just turn around and look at me i feel like darlin one used to be the coda where it's finally you're connecting be it with a girlfriend a best friend a mentor, a student, whatever, whoever it was through the course of this album that you were reaching out to. And I feel like all these songs are about the same person. To me, it was always Paul Westbrook singing about this troubled girl that he's tr- that he sees himself in. And I think as a teen, thinking the same age, I always felt like Darling One is the romantic subplot ah. coming to fruition. Darling One is the getting them together. But what did you find the lyrics? Yeah, I did. I found the lyrics. Um, and yeah, I guess you could interpret it a, a couple ways. Um, but yeah, I think what struck me, cause it's like your time has come. Um, and so that could be, yeah, it's, it's your turn to, to shine or our turn to shine. Uh, but I, I read it as it, your time has come. The end is, is near. And then there's a, a line where to go where he cries through the dirt yeah, okay. I cupped my hands around you. I swore you would fly. My tears fell through the dirt as I heaved you to the sky. In my mind, I guess I connected the dirt with like a grave and the sure. sky is heaven. And so that's kind of where I went. This is kind of a can't hardly wait take. Their song about suicide. Mm. So what's that mean at the end of this album? Don't tell a soul. I'll be you. What is ending on this note? Because a very triumphant sounding song. You think it's what triumphant does that mean? sounding? Yeah, it's well, got it's a big got that drive. like yeah, it's got that drum driving drum kind of sound to it at the beginning, especially. Yeah, I see. I actually thought that was th- that sound that 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 drum that driving drum was kind of countered by the way it's sung. It's kind of a slower sung song, at least if I'm remembering it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I and. I'm interpreting it a different way than you are. And so it, it brings a different meaning. Um, to me, it was closure. It was the end of life and therefore the end of this story, uh, which again, I was just starting to think maybe it was a story this entire album. But um, so, yeah, I think I might be interpreting it a lot differently than you have. As a kid, again, it was so upbeat. As, as a kid, it yeah. was all about finally finding that person. I don't know. I, 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 that, you know, reading the lyrics now, the, you know, maybe there's some pessimism to it. I, overall, what do you think of this album? Uh, I don't think I would go back to it that often. No. What, yeah, what do you think of the replacements? Only come to do you it like now. the replacements? I do like the replacements. Uh, I like, I like uh, the greatest hits collection of the replacements. <laughs> some would say that's their best work. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know that I would go back to this album that often. It grew on me the more I listened to it, for sure. My, Why did you listen to it multiple times? Because uh, I wanted to be able to speak to it uh, beyond just a one, a one. I was going to say one view, but one listen. One you, listen. you need more okay. than that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's you grew up with it. It was it was m- much more meaningful to you, and so you you probably could have gotten away talking about it without having listened to it. I felt like I had to give it at least you know. Three or four, and I think I ended up being like six or seven tries. 
I think I needed to re-listen to it because my memory of it is not the album. Right. I mean, we're finding that just in how we're discussing these lyrics, but also it's just kind of like this album played so much in my youth, especially at home, you know, when I was still in high school, played a lot, skipping one track. I listen to LBU a lot. I listen to Talent Show a lot. Um, Aching to be somewhat. But the rest of it, yeah, I don't. I, I just still love this album. And yet it's getting a 30th anniversary re-release, which the other albums didn't get. And it's getting a 30th anniversary re-release to fix it, some would say. <laughs> to release a version that's not produced to see what people think. Like the album has something to prove or gain. It's strange. It's very strange. Is that the choice of Paul Westerberg? I don't know. I mean, I think it's a choice of the surviving members of the band wanting to hear it, yeah. wanting to get it out there. I mean, I think the band, it didn't happen for 30 years. This version just wasn't out for 30 years. I, I think they've softened over time. And I'm curious to hear it. And I'll link in the show notes that at least Talent Show and Aching to Be are up on YouTube. And, and they're interesting to listen to because it's the same vocal track. I think it's the same music track. It's just produced differently. And it makes a different sound. It, but I don't know how the whole album will play. I'll be curious to hear the stuff like uh, They're Blind and I Won't and see what they sound like yeah. when they're not I'll, produced. I'll, I want to check that out. Well, maybe you can. If you want to spend 60 bucks, maybe you can. But if you don't feel like spending 60 bucks, if you don't want to spend any bucks, but if you feel like I'd like to get $60 of entertainment over the course of seven weeks, <laughs> why not listen to this show? By the way, did you have more to say about no, the album? No, You're that's, good? that's perfect. I think we're good. Yeah, 20th century pop is what you've been listening to. And I think if you listen to five of our episodes, which takes about 10 weeks to do, you probably get $60 of entertainment out of it. So do that. Go visit 20popcast.com. You can always uh, check out the most recent episode of this show. That's always up there for streaming, as well as links to all of our 102 other past shows that you can also listen to there. It also has links so you can subscribe to the show. If you think you're going to come back, if you enjoy listening to it, we would encourage you, if you have a way of listening to the podcasts you know apple podcasts google play stitcher find us subscribe to us it helps us out we, we love keeping track of how many people are listening if you can write a little review there sometimes there's links to where you can do that 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 helps us as well but just yeah check us out there check us out on twitter at 20 popcast check us out on instagram at 20 popcast communicate share back and forth whatever it is um we'd love to uh you know we, we, we we'd like i think we'd like to hear from you i don't even say love but we'd like to bob you know what you're good at call to actions what's your call to action on this episode my call to action i, I want to hear from you and i want to know if you have an album like like don't tell a soul that connected with you that was yours and made for you uh, whether it was from your high school years or even your college years, uh, let us know which which albums affected you. Did this album affect you? Are, are you aware of it? Have you heard it? I want to know. Reach out. Let us know. You can uh, tweet me at, uh, at RH Canning on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Anywhere else, Tim? I think you already I mean, gave us the, our If you're in the Salem, Massachusetts area, you might, I might be there, there on the you street. Go. You can wave, give, give away. That's where I'm living. But that's where I'm living now, in this century. Uh, but that's the episode. I'm sorry if it seemed a little rushed, a little choppy, but hopefully, hopefully there was something to this, right? Some sort of a, of a conversation? I think there was. I don't, I don't think that was rushed at all. No, I think we, took we, a while. we eased oh, our way through, through that album. Oh, we eased our way through. It was easy. We, we eased, it was easy. We eased our way we did. That's a different album. Yeah. But yes, we did that. Well, good. Great. <laughs> 
that's the show. We ease through. And next week, difficile, as they say in Spanish. It'll be more difficult. But this week, a breeze. A farty breeze. The monkey who played Marcel is still alive. Yeah, and he's got a movie coming out or something. Well, a TV show, Why the Last Man. So the ah. articles I'm reading are saying it's that monkey. I, it might just be it's that breed of monkey. That is the monkey from Outbreak. <laughs> that is the monkey from Friends. But that means the monkey's been working in the industry, maybe not steadily, because I can't name much it's done since season two of Friends. Season two of Friends, yes. When was the Super Bowl episode? Because that's the last episode Marcel appeared on. Um, Season two. Yeah, yeah, so that's 1996, I guess. Sure. So that's 24 years. <laughs> that's back an in old action. Monkey. And in monkey years, that's 25 years. Because you had 124th a year right. each year. But yeah, they're saying it's the same monkey, and no one's saying the monkey's name. To me, that seems a little uh, offensive. Do you know the monkey's name? I don't, but I, I'm, I'm, and I guess I am talking about it. I don't know the monkey's name, and I'm wondering why we don't. Maybe we should. Why, why don't we know this monkey? Why are we calling it Monkey yeah. or Marcel? That's like if we always referred to Dan Aykroyd as Dr. Detroit or Guy from Loose Cannons. I don't think his name was Loose Cannons, but I know he was in Loose Cannons. <laughs>